Bill Kenny, The Business of Connecting. This is Episode 81 on Kelly Bagley's Go Legal Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. This show is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Attorney Kelly Bagler, the queen of business law. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Bill Kenny. Bill is a serial entrepreneur who has founded eight companies. His current company, Meet, helps international companies gain access to the U.S. through trade shows and events. Bill also launched the Softland Partners, a platform that connects international companies with the best service providers. Welcome to the show, Bill. Oh, thanks, Kelly. It's great to be with you. Likewise. Can you share your attorney joke with us? Well, if you don't mind, I've got an accountant joke. So sometimes it's good to laugh at other professions. So That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> and I have some friends who are both attorneys and accountants. So maybe it's, it's talking to them. So the, the joke is, how do you tell the difference between an actuary and an accountant? How? Well, the actuary looks at other people's shoes. <laughs> I have not heard that one before, Bill. <laughs> Along those lines, hmm. what's the difference between an attorney and a CPA? Hmm, that is similar. I, I don't know. What's the difference? The attorney knows he's boring. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Good self-awareness. <laughs> I, I love accountants too. I really do. Without them, business would be difficult, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... The title of this show, Bill, is Business of Connecting. You have a very unique business. I'm excited to talk to you because you literally are a serial entrepreneur. And this show is about promoting entrepreneurship. So tell us about yourself. And I definitely want to get into those eight businesses that you've started. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I may be less of a serial entrepreneur than probably just not a very good employee. I think it's probably <laughs> how I would define it. But I, I think for me anyway, one of those things that uh, we've just been motivated to solve problems that we see out in the marketplace. And so that's kind of what's really inspired us to to start businesses. And what we're focused on now is really the helping of international companies that are looking in our business to enter the U.S. and then through Softland Partners, really companies that are entering any international market. We want to help and so really try to accomplish two things. One is get them to the best provider, but also within some standards, whether it's competence or ethical standards that make sure that the company is is well taken care of. Because often companies that are internationalizing are, are fairly vulnerable. So we want to make sure we take care of that as well. Of course. So you didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm a terrible employee, I'm going to start a business. No, it was a slow progression. I come from an entrepreneurial family and I saw a lot of good examples of, of that when I was a kid. And, and then I think had a lot of early efforts in terms of starting things that would be you know, sustainable and, and just fell in love with the idea of being more self-determined than necessarily. I've had two jobs and both were with very large companies and I didn't fit well in that machinery as much as I feel very comfortable and feel a lot less at risk, I guess, in, in terms of my own success and when I can maybe control the environment a bit more. 
So it's more fun and fulfilling. And actually, maybe to your your point about the title of this particular podcast is uh, my first business was a networking organization. So it may be, uh, this is not, a, I don't intend this as a brag, it'll come off as one, but it may be my only superpower is networking. So it's something <laughs> I have a lot of passion for and, and get to speak a, a little bit about it. So it's fun. And there's something to that too. Mm-hmm. So when I went to law school, I wasn't taught in law school how to network. That word didn't even come up. And then I went to my very first attorney position with Baker and McKenzie, which is an international law firm. At the time when I started with them, Bill, they were the largest international law firm in the world. And again, that word never came up. I went to a smaller firm after that, and we were we were encouraged to go out and bring in business. And so this was my very, very first experience in going out and bringing business because obviously at the big law firm, you're expected to stay behind your desk and work, work, work. You were never introduced to clients, right? God forbid. The partners were the the face of the company. So I had to learn what networking was all about. But when did you start your very first company? It was in 1986. So yeah, what, yeah, 35 years ago. So quite a while ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you must have been very young when you started. Well, thank you. You're very, <laughs> you're very sweet. Well, I had some hair then, so they can tell you if that's the indication, then nobody should become an entrepreneur. That's maybe a, a bad result. But yeah, I think the, the thing that I actually, you're talking about professional practice firms and networking actually I did consulting for a bunch of law firms and accounting firms for several years and helping them build a culture of networking. And it's a really interesting dynamic because you look at in the US, you know, the, the we have the whole baby boom generation and certainly many of those, you know, partners are either retired or retiring right now. And they're trying to hand off that rainmaking capability and skill to the next generation who have only been focused on billable hours. And it's a really difficult tension to develop. And networking is, it's fun how people view it. I'll give you an example. A lady I was doing for, as I was running this networking organization, we were doing some public workshops and whatnot about, about networking. And a lady one day called me and she had just registered and she said, I want to just let you know, I'm really excited to come to this workshop later, whenever it was later in the week or, or whatever. And she said, and it actually was a couple of weeks out. And, and she said, I, I just want to let you know, I'm looking for a job. And so I need, I know I need to go out and, and network more. And that's where jobs are coming from. And so a couple of weeks went by and it was the day before the workshop. And she called me and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not coming tomorrow. I got a job. And I grew up in Massachusetts, so I'm, I'm naturally sarcastic. And so of course, <laughs> I immediately asked her, I said, so your new employer has promised you a job for life. And she didn't get it at all, right? It's like, huh? What do you mean? And and so you're assuming that you don't need and you're you wouldn't be more valuable either to your new employer or for looking for your next job if you understood how to network and, and could network effectively. You're thinking these skills are only temporary and just for some moment in time. And it, it just went way over her head, unfortunately. And, but yeah, no, I think in, in my mind, networking is a, it's a life skill and, and it's not only something that obviously helps us create value in, in a, a business sense, but it's how we find our babysitters. It's how we find the best doctors. I mean, I don't think there's a time 
when people are better at networking than when someone in their family gets sick. It's suddenly where we, where we actually use the skill very well. It's fundamentally about solving problems. It's not about getting referrals. It's about how do we solve problems? And certainly as an attorney, you're, you work in a very collaborative environment. I, you know, all the attorneys I know are referring business constantly because they know that's, uh, in the end, the client success is the foundation of creating client advocates and, and really the kind of the key to the whole part. It's such a necessary skill, networking, Bill, such a necessary skill, like you said, for everyone. And it really should be taught in school, in high school. Networking, sales and budgeting, for sure. I don't know why people don't, you know, sales has become some evil you know, occupation when it's actually nothing, no problem gets solved without somebody who's there to do a needs assessment, which is ultimately what sales starts with. Exactly. And for some reason, sales has such a really bad reputation, but people don't know, right? They are born salespeople. They're born salespeople. I actually read somewhere, I I read a story where the author was trying to persuade the general public that we all have a sales side to us. And he was being shunned and saying, no, no, we don't. I'm not a salesperson. I'm not sleazy like salespeople. But we actually are all born salespeople because when we're young and we want something from our parents, either we cry for kids, we we cry or we ask and Mm. we, we actually have a conversation with them. So eventually you persuade them to say, yes, okay, you can have this. That's a sales tactic, right? Yeah, and I would I would say that the two best skills any good salesperson has isn't the idea of convincing. It's really about asking questions and and listening. And you know, when any of us are, are going out on a date with our significant other or whatever, I mean, we ask fundamental questions. You know, do you you want to go to a movie? Do you, you know what kind of night would you like to have? Do you want to go out to dinner? What kind of food are you in the mood for? I mean, those are all sales questions. Ultimately, it's about how do I help this person have a great experience? How do I help them, whether it's solve a problem or have a great experience? And, and you know, I think we do it very naturally. And if we called it sales, suddenly it becomes evil. But, you know, I think, unfortunately, most people think of sales in the worst context. In other words, that sort of prototypical used car salesman. But I think the salespeople, the best aren't about convincing anybody to do anything it's they're listening and responding they're listening and trying to meet a need you know it's really about empathic listening and and responding to that demand whatever it happens to be Salespeople are the ones that tell you that you actually need something that you've never considered of right (laughs) you've never for for example the apple phone Mm. we don't we don't need the latest greatest and best thing right but yet there are people <laughs> lining up around the corner for the latest greatest next phone it's, it's like why that sales to the ultimate yeah and steve jobs was a crack salesman there's no doubt about it <laughs> no he, he brilliant, I mean, I think, brilliant man yeah I, I think he would find a way to sell iced eskimos there's no uh, yeah and and he'd have them standing in line for it exactly right exactly take us back to what prompted you to actually go into business for yourself? What kind of business was it? And so let me ask those two questions first. Yeah, you know, really, I was working in the corporate world. I was doing an MBA at night. And as I was doing the MBA, part of the process was building a business plan. And so it was a business that I actually wanted to do. And so when I finished up the MBA, I left the, the corporate world and started the business, which was this networking organization that we 
built up. It was a business organization that helped business owners network. It was all based in Connecticut. So it was all in the Hartford, Connecticut area. And so it was just business owners. We had like 100 plus non-competing companies. And then we actually ended up building it into a licensing model. So we actually helped other people start similar networks in in other geographies. And that was kind of, I think for me anyway, really liberating because I was in previous life managing several offices and living under this sort of corporate haze of, I don't know, I think just very structured, but I think difficult to see where where I could ultimately be as successful as I wanted to be. And your business after that, the the seven other businesses, right? Are they all within the same field? <laughs> You chuckled. There's a story there. Well, yeah. So, yeah, most of the businesses we've started have been sort of in the, I I would say, consultancy and B2B sort of space. But we did, we had a, I guess, about a six-year span where we bought and sold businesses as well. So the first business we bought was an ice cream business, which was the dumbest thing for people. My wife and I are both very wired for B2B um, and particularly sort of enterprise Type stuff. So we bought this ice cream business and it was really to turn it around and kind of have some fun. And, and yeah, we had that for about three years. And then just as we were selling that, we bought a weight loss business and they weren't very far apart. So think about it. We went from being the crack dealer to the rehab center. <laughs> and it was so fun. And we actually had a few situations where we had the same customers come in the door and it was uh you know suddenly they go it was like you know a month ago you were selling me ice cream now now you're helping me you know lose weight and it was that was a really interesting business because the thing that you know we really saw of and and i think this has been formed actually both of those businesses even though they were way out of our league in terms of retail and consumer services which we really didn't have much knowledge of which actually I think really helped us. We learned a lot from our employees, particularly in the ice cream business. I mean, our oldest employee was 21 and we had a couple of shops and, you know, as we got it going, we were able to leave. We one time did a, like a three week vacation and we came back and the business was better, but we had learned some, (laughs) but we had learned some things about empowering employees over the first couple of years that allowed us to do that, that we had just never been exposed to in working in more of the enterprise space. And the weight loss business, I would say, taught us a ton about human behavior. And there's a big gap between what people want and the actions they take. And it's not obviously not just to do with weight loss. And and this uh, company also helped people with smoking cessation. There's probably not many people we talk to that will say, uh, I want to be fat and unhealthy. Most people have this vision of whether it's, I'm not sure thin's the right target, but but healthy. But very few people have the actions that actually, you know, it's almost like saying, obviously you're in California or speaking specifically of San Diego and saying, I want to go to Los Angeles, right? But if you're on I-10 going east, you probably shouldn't expect to get to Los Angeles, right? Right. It's okay if you're on the PCH or you're on, on, you know, Route 5, but don't expect to get to Los Angeles if you're on I-10. It's, that doesn't go to Los Angeles, right? right? That's a great analogy, yes. Yeah, you got to be on a road that gets you there. And there are a, lot of, there are a few different choices here, but, but at least, and, and it doesn't even matter what speed you're going at but at least be going the right direction and, and incrementally get there. But we tell ourselves, uh, 
I think behaviorally, a lot of lies, unfortunately. Yes. Doesn't help. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and the same thing, you know, it certainly happens in business. We see a lot of people who want to be successful in business, but they're not doing the things that, that cause that. And I'm, I'm sure you have some client stories there. Yes, exactly. But that's for another day, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no doubt. No doubt. This is my therapy session. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, it is. It's your therapy session, Bill. <laughs> But currently, you run a very successful business, and I absolutely love everything about it. Because as an international business attorney, it's very, very difficult to market yourself internationally. One, you don't know where to. Two, you have no idea whether your clients even exist in that particular market. And then trying to help clients that are from international countries that want to gain a US presence. Well, how do they find you? How do they know that you're going to take care of them as opposed to a big, big law firm, right? So what you're doing, Bill, is absolutely phenomenal for businesses in general. How did you come about or how did you get to meet? Oh, thank you. Yeah. And you're so sweet. It was one of the things. So what Meet helps international companies do is, and, and specifically we work with B2B companies, but we help them primarily exhibit at US trade shows. And there are uh, a few things around that, but really about helping them identify and create exchange and meetings and uh, ultimately convert enterprise customers. And so I, for several years, ran a bunch of trade shows. So I had a lot of experience at trade shows. And plus, I've also exhibited in our own businesses at many trade shows. And I guess the thing that has always been maybe a common thread for me is when I've seen a business from a few different perspectives. So in other words, both being maybe a customer of trade shows and also running them, I begin seeing places where there may be opportunities. And, and with trade shows, I guess my experience has been that the majority of companies, I, I think probably somewhere upwards of 95% of companies that exhibit at trade shows leave a lot of opportunity on the table. They just really don't understand how to do it. And so for us, it was really one of those things that was an imperative. We said, we, we've got to go and solve this problem. And, and we have a particular love of companies that are entering international markets. And for us, our skills are in the U.S., so entering the U.S. market. And we, I mean, for us, that's the most vulnerable client and the one that we can help the most because there's not only the sort of challenge of exhibiting at trade shows, which I think is a whole skill set, but the notion of doing it in a market and with a customer that you're not familiar with, I think is it just adds to, I think, the opportunity to be helpful and, and build value. It's absolutely brilliant. Sometimes trade shows work for people that have found how to, right, how to have a successful trade show. Others show up and they leave disappointed. They leave very, very disappointed and heartbreaking. But for you to bring this platform to people that are trying to seek entry right, into the US, but you also provide US companies entry to other countries as well. It's, it's not just one way because you do have networks, right, internationally. Yes, we set up in, one of the things we learned in running the meat businesses. Uh, we've been helping international companies for seven years. And so about a year and a half ago, we started assessing, you know, having a strategic uh, sort of meeting on the, the meat business and trying to understand how we should position the company going forward. And as we were doing some self-assessment, we actually found 
that 100% of our, our clients were coming to us as damage, what we would call damaged children. They were coming to us after having had horrific U.S. market entry experiences. And that in some cases was, you know, they made bad decisions. In other cases, we were hearing from them that they got connected with the wrong partners and service providers. And that may be that it was a mismatch in terms of skills and needs. In other cases, there were some ethical issues and where people did did things that were unscrupulous. So yeah, we created maybe soft launch maybe a year and a half ago and maybe more hard launched about a year ago, this organization called Softland Partners, which is a, a global consortium of organizations and entities that support companies that are internationalizing and and entering market. So yeah, we have 16 chapters now around the world, as far east as Mumbai, as far west as LA and Silicon Valley, and then as far south as Sao Paulo, Brazil. And in February, we open up our first African chapter. And yeah, the, the real idea is to build very dense communities of support organizations for companies that are internationalizing and to build not just to create those communities, but also to build bridges between them so that it becomes easier and easier for companies to have a much higher percentage chance of succeeding. And and what was it? The Austrade, the Australian trade agency recently shared some statistics that their failure rate, and so this is a public entity saying what their the failure rate of the companies that they work with is about 70% yeah. in terms of internationally, which it's, yeah, it's just, it breaks my heart to even hear that, to see that it's that challenging. And we certainly see it, but that kind of brings it home. One in, one in every three sort of makes it. Um, and these are successful companies. These aren't startups generally. They're actually going concerns. And, and when they fail, if they fail bad enough, it can actually ruin the the whole business, not just the the entity that's that's entering the new market. So, as a fellow entrepreneur, Bill, you can relate to this. It's hard enough to take the risk to go out on your own and try to make money at what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. let alone get connected with someone that can literally bring your company to its knees because you're mm-hmm. partnered with the wrong people. Very, very heartbreaking, Bill. It's time for me to recognize one of our sponsors today. So bear with me. Our sponsor is Bagler Law Firm, a trusted name in business law, providing legal solutions to entrepreneurs. Definitely check out baglerlaw.com and see how they can help you start and run your business. Back to you, Bill, back to our therapy session. (laughs) So how do you market your business? Yeah, it's a, a great question. So most of our, um, I would say, our leads come from both venture capital organizations and also from various trade and investment organizations. So, so we do a, a lot of work with venture capital firms that are particularly supporting companies coming into the U.S. And these firms are in Europe, in Asia, and Australia are, are generally the ones that we've been focusing on the most. And then both the U.S. trade and investment offices at various embassies around the world and also some of the international trade offices as well. We do a lot with DIT and the, the U.K. Department for International Trade and with London and Partners, which is another U.K. agency, and then several other countries. Germany, we're doing a lot with and some of the Asian agencies as well. So yeah. before the lockdown, before 
this global pandemic? Did you travel much? At least two weeks a month. So, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah and it, it through the year it kind of went, you know, spikes and valleys. But yeah, and ultimately, that's a big motivation for us anyway, in, in terms of being in an international business is the quality of life it offers as well. I, I think it's, yeah, that's in my mind, at least part of our compensation is the ability to visit other cultures and build relationships uh, throughout the world. I love traveling. Uh, This year or last year, my husband and I, we wanted to travel to Santorini, Greece. And that's been put on hold now, right? So as soon as everything opens up, we definitely want to go to Santorini. But I, I, I really do love traveling and experiencing different cultures. There is no place on earth like Santorini. Really? Uh, I, 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 so we have some friends who keep their sailboat in the summer. They keep it in the Greek islands. So we visited them a couple of times. And we actually sailed into Santorini on a 45-foot sailboat. And it's a very magical place. I've, I've traveled quite a bit. And I would say there is no place on earth like Santorini. It's really exceptional. Well, there you go. That just solidified it. Still yeah. number one on the list of travel. <laughs> Perfect. I shall re- yeah. relay that information to my husband. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm happy to share more stories. It's really, it's a cool place. Wonderful. Bill, mm. I know starting a business, doesn't matter what kind of business it is, right? There has to be, there's some sort of formula in order for you to start a business, run a business, and then eventually sell that business. Have you written a book? I wrote a book a bunch of years ago on on networking called Why Don't Doctors Cold Call? It's not on Amazon or anything. It was uh, kind of limited printed, but no, I haven't written a book on starting a business. My ADD probably is, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not, I'm not predisposed to probably sit down and and do a lot of typing, I don't think. Because this right here that we're talking about right now, Bill, this could be the ticket for you to, to make millions, right? You're probably already there, but this could add to your millions because there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out there that want to start their own business. Where do they start from? What do they do? A business is a business. There are certain ingredients that goes into, right? Running, starting, yeah. running and selling a business. And you know those. Well, yeah, there are people much smarter than me about this. But I, I do have the f- good fortune in in mentoring quite a bit. I actually had a mentor meeting with a Hungarian company a little bit earlier today. And, you know, the thing that I see is the biggest challenge for businesses today and, and companies that are starting. And, and I would even say mature companies that are looking to add new products or services is there's very little focus on building things that there's demand for. And I think that if I were going to give one piece of advice to anyone starting a business or, or building a business is love your customer and, and really understand where the demand is in terms of what you're doing. And, and for those that are in the space of building businesses, there's something called the business model canvas, which was developed many years ago. It's replaced the business plan or starting businesses and there are really only two things that matter in the early stages, and it's value proposition and customer segment. And however you do it, you know, value proposition is what your customer perceives the value is that you're providing, an empathic understanding of your, your customer's uh, needs, and, and the market segment is who you're going to sell to. And one's a constant and one's a variable. You can choose. It doesn't really matter. You can have a problem you want to solve or a value proposition you want to provide and find somebody who wants that. Or you can find somebody you really want to serve and find out what keeps them awake at night. It really doesn't matter. But, and, and instead, what 
sort of universities are selling and a lot of accelerators are selling is this notion that come in with an idea and then find a customer and or build a product and then find a customer. And it's sort of like saying, I, I see this sort of the ecosystem is selling this false claim, which is entrepreneurship is easy. And it's it's one, two, three. It's, you know, have an idea, get investment, and then buy a yacht are the sort of one, two, three of, of, of entrepreneurship. And I, you know, I've never seen a business fail where de- demand is understood, where they're awaiting customers. I've seen, you know, every go to any university in the tech transfer office and see the not millions, but billions of dollars of investment that US government and other governments have put into the development of technologies for which there are no customers. <laughs> Absolutely. That is some brilliant information you just shared with our listeners. Absolutely brilliant. Again, the show is about promoting entrepreneurship and it's not easy, Bill. <laughs> You've done it eight times and you're still doing it, right? I'm doing I'm still it. Still practicing. I've done it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've done it twice and I'm still practicing, right? And that was just so brilliant. Entrepreneurship it's hard. It's difficult. You have to find the passion. But that's brilliant what you just shared with us. Find the customer, find the need. So to underscore how hard it is. So I heard in this, I won't take credit for this. I heard this very smart investor, uh, this venture capitalist one day, who was addressing an audience at Babson College, one of the best entrepreneurship schools in in the world. And he said, yeah, entrepreneurship is difficult. Just try spelling it. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yes, sometimes I still have to do spell check on it. That's all you need to know. It's that hard. <laughs> oh my goodness, as simple as that. Exactly. I have to ask you, Bill, out of all the businesses that you've started, what has been one of the most challenging aspects of starting a business or even running one? Yeah, I think along the lines of what I just said, we've started businesses that we didn't validate demand before we started. And I think the the problem in doing that is, you know, and I think this happens more often than not today is, is somebody has an idea, they sort of assume demand uh, and they go and they go in their basement for a month or six months or 12 months and they build something, right? Some website or widget or whatever. And then they come out into the marketplace and they say, how do you love my baby? <laughs> Will you buy my exactly. baby? And either the market, you know, the market votes, the market either says yes or no. And I think the, the hardest thing, and then we've done this twice. Of our eight businesses, we've sold two of them for $1 after three or four years of pouring in love, pouring in money, pouring in time. And these endeavors are things where you're spending 80 hours a week. Uh, Don't and, and working. the tears and sweat. And, and oh, that. it's exactly. well. And the problem of this is and why I, you know, I would really suggest demand centered development versus idea centered is that the more that you build something, the more that you invest in whatever that product is, there are really a whole bunch of things that are a problem. Number one is psychologically, it's very hard to to be dissuaded from that answer, right? If you go see a customer and they say, I don't love your baby, you defend the baby as opposed to saying, let's adjust the baby. Exactly. We got the the wrong baby. And the other thing that happens is that there's a sort of idea of dry gunpowder. And if you've used all of your resources to build this baby that's either, you know, you've dumped everything into it or it's inflexible, then then you can't be nimble and adapt uh, to the market. And when you think about demand and if you find the right demand, so say, for example, you were, you know, your focus was to cure 
cancer or let's say breast cancer or some pancreatic cancer, something that's really insidious. And you could go to the first customers and say, I have a 50% solution. I can guarantee you that there's going to be at least a 50% survival rate here. People would flock to you, right? They'd love you. 50% survival. That means half of our planes are going to crash, but that's much better than what they're used to now, right? So it's really about finding demand in such a way that the customer will accept your development to get to 60% and 70% and 80% over time. But the idea that your customers are so in need of that, you know, this is what's truly keeping them awake at night, that you're giving them something that solves a significant problem for them. And that, that again, they can go on and be helpful to you in that journey of improving and iterating that solution until you get to a place where you're highly reliable. Bill, you have shared some incredible, valuable insights to starting a business and running a business with the fellow entrepreneurs that are listening to the show. The show has gone international, by the way. Yes. And it was nominated to be in the top 20 law business podcasts as well. So yay, I know by by Feedspot. It's a company out there that I guess lists podcasts and, and puts some categories and what have you. So we're very proud to be part of that. So thank you, Feedspot. And thank you so much, Bill, for being on the show. Uh, the audience can obviously get a hold of you by going to the show notes of our show. They can download the app. They can either go directly to go legal yourself podcast.com or find our app, go legal yourself on any of the app stores, download the app, contact me directly, contact any of our guests directly. And I'm sure they'll be happy, happy to reach out to you as well and answer any questions. And Bill, do you have any more smart parting words? <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't mind, I'll give you a quick metaphor. So I'm a sailor. I love the sea. And the, the biggest challenge I see and we see in, in all of our clients is the idea of focus. People tend to think that everybody's a prospect and they're very broad in terms of who they look at. But if you look at people that fish, actually fishermen or fisher people are the best example of how to attract customers. So think about how a person that fishes acts. So if they decide I'm going to go fishing, that really the first decision they make is what do I want to catch? And then that informs where they're going to go fishing and what bait they're going to put in the water. And so I would just think about what do I want to catch sounds very simple until you understand that there are 34,000 species of fish and there are lots of subspecies. So really what somebody that goes fishing decides is actually the 33,999 species they don't want to catch, right? And, and I think that's, if I were going to suggest anything from a business growth standpoint that's really important is be very focused on your fish. And there's no solution for everybody. And in fact, you may have to augment for various customer types. But if you can narrow down to your fish that you're aiming at, your sales and marketing gets, it's never easy, but it gets much easier because you're actually creating and, and communicating to a specific uh, market. And just think of you know fishing, you're going to put bait in the water that attracts the fish as opposed to catching anything, which usually isn't a very good solution. So fishing is an amazing metaphor for sales and marketing. Brilliantly said. Bill, you have to write that book. I'll be your first customer. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone Thanks. listening to the show, they will buy a copy of your book. You have Sweet. to write the book. And obviously, I'll take credit for it. So you can say thank you to <laughs> in the book for, for pushing you to write that book, right? <laughs> no doubt. No doubt about it. 
Thank you again so much for being on the show. And everyone listening to the show, entrepreneurs, future entrepreneurs, business owners, remember the only way you become successful is if you make today the day you go legal yourself. I am attorney Kelly Bagler, the queen of business law, and it's been my pleasure being your host. Until next time, cheers to your success. Produced by Heard Not Seen Media, visit imaginepodcasting.com for more information.